Hey Cribaholics and welcome back this week. It is Kinsey here bringing you your Missing Mondays episode. I'm sure you know by now that August did wrap up our Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Movement Month. However, we know that 30 days is just not enough time to shed light on the epidemic, so we will be doing MMIW cases every second Saturday of every month. So be sure to tune in this Saturday to look for our Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women case on Jermaine Charlo. In the meantime, did you know that 90,000 people in the U.S. are missing at any given time? While some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. At Cremaholics, it is our mission to keep missing persons' name and information in the media to aid in their return home the best that we can. This week on Missing Mondays, I will be featuring the story of Brooklyn Farthing. Farthing, who goes by Brooke, is from a very small town in Kentucky called Berea. Berea is a very small town where everybody knows everybody. And this is a town that is actually on my top list of favorite places in this country. Berea just has like that really small town feel that I love. And it's known for its festivals and historic restaurants. And is home to the well-known liberal arts college, Berea College. Brooke was last seen in the Dillon Court area of Berea between 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. on June 22, 2013. Brooke is a white female with blonde hair and brown eyes. She stands at 5 feet, 1 inch tall, and at the time of her disappearance, her weight was unknown. She was last seen wearing a gray FFA shirt and light blue jeans. According to Brooke's family, she had a major love of nature and could sometimes be a tomboy, but she also had a big love for clothes and makeup. They said that Brooke had plans to attend cosmetology school right after her high school had ended, but she really wanted to just enjoy the summer with her friends and family. Everyone in Brooke's family stated that she was the glue that held them together. Everybody was always happy and loving when Brooke was around, and she did everything she could to make everybody happy. According to an interview that Brooke's older sister did on Investigation Discovery, On June 21st, 2013, it had started out as just any normal day for Brooke and her family. She stated that Brooke and her younger sister Paige were going to go with their mom to get their driver's license that day. Brooke ended up passing her test, but her little sister Paige did not. Brooke was super happy about this and wanted to go over to her sister's restaurant where she worked to tell her the big news. Her older sister stated that Brooke was really proud of herself and was just smiling ear to ear, but her little sister Paige was really upset about not passing her test. Not only was it a really, really exciting day because both girls had their driver's test, but their family had a big birthday party to celebrate that Friday evening. They were going to be celebrating their grandpa's 70th birthday. The family gathered to celebrate their grandpa's birthday, and after his birthday party was over, Brooke and Paige had plans to attend a party of a mutual friend there in their town. And according to Still a Mystery, the girls left their grandpa's party and went back to Brooke's house to get ready to go out for the night. Her mom stated that all the girls were in a really good mood, they were laughing, cutting up, just being normal teenage girls. This party ended up being in the middle of a field and they would have like a huge bonfire. And according to her sister, this is not something that's unusual for teenagers in that area. Growing up in Illinois, this is something that we also did too. This isn't totally unusual out in the Midwest area to just pull up in a field, have a big bonfire and play music and hang out with your friends. Brooke's sister Paige said that Brooke seemed to be having a really good time and nothing seemed out of the ordinary. 
She ended up leaving the party early and would leave Brooke behind. And unfortunately, the friend that Brooke had plans to stay with that night would end up leaving the party with a boy. And this would end up setting off a huge argument between Brooke and this friend. Brooke got really upset and told the friend, just forget about it. I'm not going to stay the night with you. I'll just find my own way home. This friend and the boy would end up leaving Brooke and Brooke continued to hang out at the party and have fun despite not really knowing how she was going to get home that night. In rule number one of Girl Code, you never leave your friends alone by themselves for any reason whatsoever when you go out. While Brooke was trying to find her way home, she ends up running into a boy that she went to school with and he was very heavily intoxicated. And Brooke, being good friends with this guy, wanted to make sure that he got home safely. So Brooke ends up seeing this older man at this party. And this older man was actually really good friends with Brooke's ex-boyfriend, Jared, who at the time was working a late night shift at a local factory. According to Still a Mystery, this older man lived with Jared for about a year during him and Brooke's relationship. Their relationship lasted about three years, so Brooke had been around this man quite a bit before and felt comfortable enough to go with him to get home. Brooke and this older man would drive to her classmate's house first, dropping him at home, and he lived out in the outskirts of Berea. After dropping off his classmate, the guy ends up for whatever reason taking Brooke to his house for unknown reasons. His house was also on the outskirts of Berea, but according to her mom Shelby, it's not a place she would have ever feared for Brooke to be. She stated that Brooke's Sunday school teacher just lived a few houses down from this guy's house and that a close friend of theirs also lived in that area as well. But what is really strange about this whole situation is that at the time of him taking Brooke to his house, he was going through a really bitter divorce with his ex-wife and their home was in foreclosure. So it was just him living in this foreclosed home that had no electricity or running water. And the house was pretty tore up and there was basically just a couch and a bed inside the house. Once getting to the home, Brooke would end up calling her sisters to come get her because she's feeling really scared and uncomfortable being with this guy. Her sister Paige stated that their other sister was heavily intoxicated and could not drive without Paige not having her driver's license. She was not going to be able to come and get Brooke. So Paige said, would you want me to call somebody to come and get you? Brooklyn ends up telling Paige that no, it's okay. She would just go ahead and call her ex-boyfriend Jared to see if he could come and get her. Even though the two had recently split up, they had stayed in contact with each other quite often. Around 4 a.m., Brooke would end up sending the first text message to Jared asking if he could come and pick her up. And unfortunately, Jared said he would not be off until 6 a.m. that morning and if she could just wait until he got off. According to Still a Mystery, Brooke ends up telling Jared that yes, she will be fine. The guy was asleep in the other room and she was kind of just sitting on the couch by herself. However, things end up taking a turn for the worst and around 4.35 a.m., she ends up sending text messages to Jared that say, Can you please hurry up? Hurry, please, I'm scared. Given that Jared was at work and he was not really paying attention to his phone and the last message he got from Brooke said that she was fine, he did not end up checking Brooke's messages right away. At 5.30 a.m., another text ends up coming in from Brooke and he did end up checking this one right away. And this message ended up saying, Never mind, I'm okay, and I'm going to go to a party in Rock Castle County. Around 9 a.m. the next morning, Brooke doesn't end up showing up to a car show that she was supposed to attend with her friend Matt. 
He stated that he called several times and never got an answer, and her family gets really frantic because this was not like Brooke. According to her mom, Shelby, Brooke was always the type of person to text you and let you know where she was, how long she was going to be, and if she was going to be coming home late or not. Her family ends up calling her ex, Jared, and he tells them about the really strange messages that he got. Right away, her family knew something was off. And to them, they kind of thought, how would she go from really scared to not being scared and then all of a sudden want to head to another party in another town at 5.30 in the morning with this town being 20 miles away and like not having any way to get there. Jared ends up giving her family the name of this older man that she was with and her older sister calls the man right away to ask where Brooke is. And of course, he ends up telling her sister that he has no idea where Brooke is and that he was sorry he hasn't seen her. He tells her sister that early in the morning around 5.30, he went out onto the property where he kept his horses and went out there to feed them and he came back and Brooke was gone. He ends up hanging up the phone with her older sister and with like no leads or any whereabouts with Brooklyn, her sister just goes into like full panic mode. But shortly after they ended their phone call, this guy ends up calling back and right when her sister answers the phone, he says, ma'am, I'm really scared. And of course her sister's thinking, okay, why do you have any reason to be scared? So she asks him, okay, why are you scared? And this older man ends up telling her that when he went out to feed his horses, Brooke was in the house by herself. And when he came back, his house was on fire. And tells her older sister that he has no idea if Brooke is the one who set his house on fire. If you knew that your home was on fire when you talked the first time, why would you not disclose that information right away? Further investigation revealed that this guy actually called 911 at 7 a.m. to report his house on fire. They didn't talk to this guy until well after 9 a.m. So he knew for two hours that his house had already been on fire and that their sister was last in that home. Why would you not disclose this information if you were not guilty? Her family ends up calling the police to tell them that Brooke was missing and that she was last seen at that home with this guy. When law enforcement got to the house, they found the couch that Brooke had been sitting on and it was completely burned to the metal. The only thing that was in that house that was burned badly was that couch. So law enforcement concluded that the fire started at the couch. At the house was also Brooke's overnight bag and the shoes she was wearing that evening. Her family felt if Brooke left that house to go to another party, why in the world would she be going barefoot? With all of the findings that they had at the house with Brooklyn's items and the house being burned down, the law enforcement jumped right away into looking for Brooklyn. They ended up jumping into action and searching the areas around the house with cadaver dogs. They searched the wooded areas and sinkholes and any other place that you could really hide a body. Law enforcement also tried to ping her cell phone, but unfortunately it was completely untraceable. The man ends up being questioned by law enforcement, but doesn't become a suspect, which is really weird to me because how the heck do you have a girl in your home sitting on a couch... You supposedly go out to your horses and you come back and your house is on fire. I'm sorry, but it's not a coincidence. You don't just have this girl at your home. She's scared to death. And then somehow a mysterious text comes through that she's not scared anymore. She's gone and your house is burned down. I'm sorry, but that's just not a coincidence. 
Many people in the area felt that Brooks' disappearance may be connected to one of the other hundred girls who went missing in the Heartland area, but her family just does, does not agree. Her family truly believes that this man that was last with Brooklyn is the person responsible for her disappearance, but without any leads or hard evidence, Brooks' case ends up going cold. However, this year in the early summer, Joshua Hensley, the last man that was with Brooke, was arrested on child exploitation charges. Unfortunately, there has been no new developments in Brooke's case, but we are all hoping and praying that his arrest will bring her family some answers. Listening to Brooke's family talk about her and her disappearance is just utterly heartbreaking. Her family at this point just wants Brooke home, whether that means she's alive or deceased. It is freaking them out to think that Brooke could have been kidnapped and have been sex trafficked in that area. At this point, they want any type of answers, whether it's good news or bad news, and that being a mom is just heartbreaking to think that you get so desperate that you'll take any type of answer whether it's good or bad. Brooke Farthing was last seen in the Dillon Court area of Berea, Kentucky between 5 and 6 a.m. on June 22, 2013. Brooke is a white female with blonde hair and brown eyes. Brooke stands at 5 feet 1 inches tall and at the time of her disappearance her weight was unknown. She was last seen wearing a gray FFA shirt and light blue jeans. If you have any information on the disappearance of Brooklyn Farthing, you are encouraged to call the Madison County Sheriff's Office at 859-623-1511. If you haven't already, I highly encourage you to join our Crimeholics podcast discussion group on Facebook or follow us on Instagram, where we will have more information and pictures of Brooklyn Farthing. Crimeholics, as always, be aware and take care.